In my last parish in Memphis, we had a parishioner named Doris. Doris is a deep-souled person. She's a saintly person, and I think like all saintly people, she's also complicated. She had the most remarkable way of praying. She would pray for a person by name, which many Episcopalians often do, either adding that name to the prayer list or whispering it out loud. But she took it one step further every single time. And usually these were people she was praying about that we knew we could recognize the names. She would pray for something very specific for that person. This facility was, with prayer was made all the more remarkable by the fact that she attended every single Sunday the right one 8 a.m. Eucharist. And no offense to them, but these are not exactly the kind of people who get off script, if you know what I mean. <laughs> as soon as there was a pause in the prayers, Doris would drive, dive right in One time in my first year, she attended the evening Eucharist. The evening Eucharist was all up in the chancel. It was about 20 people, um, which meant that when you're up in the chancel with that group, just like with a choir now, you're very aware of body language and facial expressions. We can see one another. When someone moves just a few inches, you notice. So when Doris attended that evening Eucharist, she made quite an impression I remember it vividly. It was in my first year. Three people showed up for that service who'd never been there. Doris, and separate from them, the senior warden, and his daughter, Anna Margaret, who at the time was eight years old. I remember that because Anna Margaret then and now is good friends with my son, and they're in the same grade. When the senior warden and his daughter came into that small service, his daughter, Anna Margaret, landed in the pew, sat right down, and opened a book that I know to be one of the seven Harry Potter books. And she dove right in. It didn't bother me at all because I love the Harry Potter books, and Dumbledore's kind of like Jesus. Anna Margaret never lifted her head out of that book, and then we eventually made it to the prayers of the people. The first open pause, Doris spoke up, and she prayed at first, as she often did for me by name, <clears throat> and said, we, we, we just pray, O oh Lord, for Richard, that the Holy Spirit will anoint him. His sermons are good, but they tend to speak to the mind. So just just open him up a bit so the spirit can get in and he can be more heartfelt. (laughs) When I first heard that, I actually agreed with it. And then the second thing I did is I looked and I saw Anna Margaret sitting there in her book and she looked up. The second intercession from Doris was for 
someone down the hall from her in the facility that she would find $100 to make that bus trip down to Florida to see the beach for the first time. Her third prayer was a petition, one that I'd heard before, that the Lord, that God would send her a husband by midnight. (laughs) And only because you laughed, I'll tell you, that prayer was a little bit clearer because more often than not, she prayed both for a boyfriend and a husband by midnight. And you were left to wonder if that was the same person. (laughs) At the mention of the husband, Anna Margaret closed her book. (laughs) I learned so much about prayer from Doris, and not her timing, but it was always so specific and heartfelt, and more often than not, tender. The gospel reading is a story about Bartimaeus, who is blind, and it's a story about listening, not so much seeing. The seeing gets all the attention. It's really a story about listening, and that means it's in part a story about prayer, It's definitely a story about just a dramatic interruption in everyone's plans, especially the apostles. Bartimaeus interrupts everything and is just yelling for the son of David to have mercy on me. The apostles try to resist that, try to quieten him and get him out of the way. They've got plans, they've got control. And Jesus goes to Bartimaeus and listens. The healing bit of the story is what gets all the attention or most of the attention, and and, and that makes sense. How could it not? If I would ever have been healed from blindness, I'd probably tell you about it. If I ever had a friend who was healed from blindness, I know I would tell you about it. There's a scholar and an Anglican priest I love named John McQuarrie, who in a book called Christology Revisited, had the most beautiful three or four pages on the healing ministry of Jesus. And he writes that there's no doubt that Jesus was a healer, and that probably explains why he was so popular, at least at first. It drew people to him. And this scholar and priest goes on to say, um, many people today have the gift for healing, whether in terms of their touch or their presence. Then he goes on to say, there's an intimate relationship between mind and body that we can't explain. The stories about healing are not the hard part. The explanation of the healing, that's the hard part. We know, he writes, there's an intimate connection, but we don't know exactly how that works. And maybe one day in the future, we'll have a better explanation for how that healing actually connects, how that healing works, and how body and mind connect. But we don't know now. 
The most interesting part of the story, for me at least, however, is not the healing. It's what happens before the healing, and it's the question that Jesus asks Bartimaeus. Everyone gets quiet, including Bartimaeus. Everyone is interrupted, and Jesus says to Bartimaeus, something only he can hear. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? In the original language, it could not be any more beautiful or deep. What do you want me to do for you? What do you desire for me to do for you? What do you have affection for deep in your heart that you want to ask me for? What do you desire more than anything else? I wonder how long it took Bartimaeus to answer. And that's the kind of thing the scriptures, these stories don't tell us. So these whole just open spaces that we fill in with our imagination and we should. Did he answer quickly? Probably. Did he know, had he always known every single day what he wanted to see? Or did it take him a long time to answer? Did he go through the files of his life, the subjects of his life, and think carefully for several minutes, this long, awkward silence with everybody watching and listening before he finally answered? How long would it take you to answer? Do you know right now? Or do you need to pray about it for a while? In just a moment, we'll have the prayers of the people. We have it every Sunday. We have it every Eucharist. And really what the prayers of the people are, or how we respond ritually and communally and personally, each Eucharist, to that question that Jesus asks over and over again, what do you desire more than anything else? What's in your heart that you need to say? We have a lot to say in the prayers of the people today. Yesterday in this very space, we elected the 11th Bishop of Colorado, the Reverend Kim Lucas. When Episcopal elections occur, the clergy and the lay people vote by houses, but by orders. And right out of the gate, the lay people led this election, and the clergy eventually came over to that side, and Kim was elected. It was a wonderful election. It was a profound moment of discernment. It was also a hard election because we loved both candidates. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of time to do what Kim and Ruth did to put themselves out there. We'll give thanks today for Kim's election. It's a historic election. First female bishop of Colorado, first African-American bishop of Colorado, And you can feel it. Kim's presence and vision will change this diocese in ways we can't even imagine. She's a preacher, she's a storyteller, and she's a visionary. In the prayers of the people, because there's a lot of room for other perspectives, other emotions, we'll also say a prayer of lament for yet another mass shooting in our country. More deaths as we pray for the Tree of Life Synagogue. God rest their souls. 
God comfort their family and friends who grieve. For the third time in this pulpit, I think I've been here 15 or 16 months, not much longer. And for the third time in this pulpit, I pray and long for, with Bishop O'Neill, bipartisan gun control, sane legislation that all of us can rally around. It will not fix all of our problems, but we must do something. Yesterday, the Attorney General immediately named it a hate crime. So I also pray and recommit ourselves to resist anti-Semitism in any form, especially the form that it often takes by the way these scripture texts are interpreted. For good or ill, we have a lot to pray about today. And just like what happened to Bartimaeus, may God open our eyes to see our world as it really is, to become more aware of what is within us, and over time, however long it takes, to find the words to respond to Christ's question.